Welcome, welcome to the End Times Continue recording on this. Sorry, I didn't I didn't drop that soon enough. Recording on this, the 29th of October. Uh, I am Dino. Ace is out again this week. Um, and he might be next week as well. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, we are doing... Well, we're doing the same thing uh, that we did the last time Ace was out. And that is bringing on Lady Jane. Uh, because the news hasn't changed. And in fact, it's gotten worse. <laughs> so uh-huh. there's also some interesting stuff going on, but uh yeah, Lady Jane, how you doing? Hey, I'm okay. I'm not bad, just looking at the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> it's becoming increasingly irrelevant um because of some statements that were made by Benjamin Netanyahu and and a few other things that this is one of the things that the more I've I've it's been the last uh while. You you and I had spoken about political zionism in the past Mm -hmm. but it's it's been it's i haven't actually done as much study on it as i've done in the last um several weeks i mean at this point you know more than i do so (laughs) you know which i mean hours and hours and hours of of research and 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 listening to other people's research and yeah it's a lot. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they don't teach the stuff that you're learning. They don't teach that to us when we're learning about it. Because if they did, then they wouldn't be able to lie so much. <laughs> the actual, like, the history that I'm learning through, what's the um, the name of that podcast that you've been listening yeah, to? Yeah, that Martyr Maid series, yeah. Yeah, hearing that, um, just little bits and pieces, is a lot more than I ever actually heard when I was supposed to be learning about Israeli history. There's also the, uh, that, um, and this was suggested by, uh, uh, Patrick, um, Patrick McFarlane. He, he suggested the, there was that, that, uh, that, that piece about how the early Zionist land grabs worked in, in Palestine. And it was a whole rundown on, on, on how that actually functioned. And it had to do with basically the way that the land had been distributed and and had been particularly how it had been recorded under the Ottoman Empire. And there was basically an end run around the land ownership of the people who actually lived there because of the way that that land ownership had been recorded under the Ottoman Empire. Is that is a fascinating history, but yeah, that whole that whole thing. I'll, I'll link it in the description of this if anybody wants to read it. It's it's very interesting. It's hosted on Mises, but it's a it's it's a law review article really. But it's hosted on Mises. Um, I can't remember where it was originally published. But yeah, stuff like that. Like, they don't mention that kind of stuff either. Like, the actual legal history of how this stuff actually went down in a paperwork, like, hard paperwork sense. No. No, (laughs) nothing. No. No, they... I mean, maybe I wasn't paying that much attention. Um... That's that's possible. Our Jewish history class was kind of stupid. It included um, a day where they went over Fiddler on the Roof, like we watched it, but then the teacher would pause 
every couple minutes to explain why what was going on was assimilation and how Fiddler on the Roof is a really good example of where it all went wrong for Jews. So it is possible I was just not paying attention. Except I'm pretty sure I would remember if they went over the paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) The the legal history. Um, But yeah, we get none of that. I'm sure that at some high schools that are less fly-by-night as mine was and are a little more modern, they go over it. But it's it's all heavily obvious. Mm. It's what we got was a pretty slapshod uh, explanation. They tend to not talk about the fact or harp on the fact that Zionism started out not as a religious movement. Oh, yeah, um, that it was actually heavily atheist. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, it's not like it's hidden, but it, they don't really go into it too much. And I feel like that's kind of an important part of how the whole thing got started. So what about the it, what about like know, the Marxism they, of it all? Eh, they don't talk that much about Marxism in a negative way. It's just kind of like a thing. I think maybe because people that I knew who they had family that had been like Marxist during the Holocaust, who probably were kind of like non-Zionist. Um, that's that's a whole other kind of thing. Like all the people that were in the Warsaw Ghetto, not yeah. all of them, but a huge amount that led the revolt, they were Marxists. Um, yeah, I mean, they don't, it's not really mentioned in a, in a bad way. Hmm. They don't really, I mean, they don't tell us like, oh, this is what Marxism is. Sure. They do like to bring up sort of, not sort of touched on. No. And I'm sure there are other places that did this much better than my little like ultra Orthodox high school. I'm sure. But I, I would doubt it. Because if you were because if you were to get a a real true and honest history of Zionism and the relations between um even even the early uh pioneers um and the Palestinians who already lived there um in like the late nineteenth century, it, it would sort of undermine the whole thing, the whole message. And especially once World War One breaks out, the the, the way that the the sort of Zionist cause was pushed in, in the UK and Britain is it's, it's not a great story. (laughs) If you, if you really want to believe these are the good guys, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that I just, it, it, it's a very human story in the sense that this is the way that politics works. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. there's not the sort of do what? They take the politics out of it, right? Like, the kind of people that are that religious, the politics are out of it. It turns into, like, a, a gift from God. So, yeah, I mean, they're not going to go through all because the idea that is heavily intimated by a lot of people and then by other people just set out right is, well, this was, this was the consolation prize for the Holocaust in their eyes and not just because it was kind of a consolation prize from Western nations, but that the things that had to happen for us to get Israel included the Holocaust, but it's not talked about in a way like the political maneuvering around it or the motivations of those Western nations after World War II. Yeah. It takes something that actually is like a highly political history and turns it into, well, it was meant to be, and it was, you know, not written in the stars, but that this is almost like preordained. Like a so yeah. Why would you talk about 
because that has to do with the machinations of man mm-hmm. instead of the plan from God. Right. So they don't really go in depth because it would undercut the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying I've spent more time on the Jewish virtual library over the last couple of weeks than almost any other website besides Twitter. <laughs> like I've been reading shit the entire the entire last few weeks, um, couple of weeks. Anyway, uh, but before we get into all of that, because there is actually a lot there that's developed, there's something that's kind of funny that has been going on outside of all of this and because i'm fascinated by internet subcultures and and subcultures of subcultures uh this is something that i didn't know existed until uh talking to you about it and that is that apparently there is a contention of people who believes that taylor swift is at the very least bisexual and perhaps yes, the gayler community yes and they are um in shambles at the moment. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. And when you go on the Gaylor Swift Reddit communities, kind of who's left there is just the most degenerate. Um, it's a uh, man. I don't want to talk about it. But some water, of the stuff I just that I've seen. Spit water. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. It's they're not well. Like <laughs> they're really not. Some of them I think might need to be like seek assistance. Um. They see things where where there's nothing there. Uh, the Gaylor Swift community is in absolute shambles because uh, so on Friday, the re-recording of 1989, her first pop album from 2014, that re-recording was released, Taylor's version. And there is prologue, written prologue um, that came with the vinyl edition and in that prologue she directly references the fact that people have speculated about her relationships with her female friends and then it includes some references to her allyship and is pretty much the only time she's ever actually commented in any any way at all even alluded to the fact that there are people that think that she's bisexual or just gay uh pretty much predominantly most gaylers think that she's bisexual that some of these relationships have been fake with men but that a lot of them haven't but in between the relationships with men there's been relationships with at least two high profile women and then there's like another person i don't know who the hell it is some of the craziest people have come up with some other third woman that she was with um it's kind of like the writings of a madman when you look through <laughs> all of what they think is like <laughs> putting putting together they'll find one line and be like wow sign zodiac sign well this person had this zodiac sign and this person had that one which means that taylor's talking about this person that's no one's ever heard of but she was in a picture one time in the background of an instagram so this is her girlfriend like that's the wow. level that we're at right now and the, um, the but they the are after now. she said in the liner notes after she said like guys stop it they are just some people have well. left entirely some some people have it's some of them it's a lot of cope they're like why are you surprised that a closeted person did something closeted obviously because she's closeted she's going to deny it like guys she she's still with us like Gaylor is still real. And then you get another camp that's saying, well, she doesn't want us to speculate 
on her relationships. And so out of respect for her, I'm going to leave this community. <laughs> when the her whole brand is asking people to speculate about her relationships. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's every every which song on every album going all the way back to when she first started making music is about is about, hey, can you guess which boyfriend this song's about? Yeah, she named a a song Dear John about John Mayer. And then she was like, guys, please don't bully him. Like, you don't even know who he is. I don't talk about who my songs are about. So please, like, leave him alone. This was a long time ago. And you don't even know who it's referring to. Really? <laughs> really? John. John's in the title. It's fine. I mean, I guess we could pretend it's really just a Dear John letter, but it's John Mayer. Yes, of course. I, um, I personally am affected by this news because... I am like a low key gayler. I'm not insane. I'm not gonna like, I don't have a Tumblr about it. I don't spend time thinking that much about it. I mean, I do think about it probably every day, but only like in the normal amount. <laughs> uh, this, this level it of happens. Everyone... is just not acceptable, frankly. This isn't autism. I just am interested in a no, thing. No, no, no. This is an so, autistic special interest. That's what this is. <laughs> anyway. It's not. I just listen to her music a lot, and I think she's probably gay. And so if you listen to a song like Maroon that talks about kissing scarlet lips, I'm sorry, that's not about a man. And I won't be gaslit into believing that it is. <laughs> yeah, okay. However, I'm not deeply affected by it. Right. I'm not even a Swifty. Like there's a whole kind of like you have to be accepted by them to to go into the society. You can't just call yourself a Swifty. I've seen people do that online. And then actually the Swifties tell them, in fact, you're not a Swifty. You can't join. I've never seen more gatekeepy fans and gatekeepy subculture. Well, I was about to say good for them. Good for them gatekeeping their community and keeping the keeping the bad ones out. Uh, it doesn't work with the Gaylers because you get some people who like truly need to seek help. But in the aftermath of this release of 1989 and the prologue, um, I've now seen it. I guess it's mainstream now. Like page six had an article about it. And of course the headline is like Taylor Swift slams rumors that she's bisexual, which I mean, I don't know if it's slamming, but it's page six, right? The New York Post always has a headline that's meant for maximum impact. Right. And then I did see somebody on YouTube Shorts, since my algorithm is pretty much all conservatives, because I kind of hate watch stuff, and so it just thinks that I'm really into, like, conservative media. Um, They're addressing it now. So oh, don't act like Ben Shapiro's not your hero. No, he's absolutely. Not. And that woman, that woman who looks exactly like Ben Shapiro, but she's a woman. Brett, Brett Cooper. Brett Cooper, that's who it is. She's in a movie. Yeah, I mean, now. she's not. She's smarter. Yeah, like a Daily Wire made movie. <laughs> I mean, is that? I'm like, yeah, I could be in a movie too if if that's the, if that's the criteria. <laughs> she she is smart. Like, actually, I. I seeing some of the clips that have come up um, of her and her show, the comments section. I mean, I wouldn't say I agree with everything. And a lot of it is like, she has the passion and certainty of a person who's 22 years old and knows everything there is to know about life. But she honestly, I think is probably smarter than Ben Shapiro. 
Um, I mean, probably. And it'd be interesting to see what... I mean, I'd be interested to see what she does once she gets out, it breaks out of the Daily Wire shell. Because right now, that's kind of where she actually created a platform and people know who she is. But I think once she's a little bit older and not in that milieu anymore and can kind of build her own brand, she'll, she'll probably be really good. But she does sometimes say things where I'm like, yeah, when I was 22, I also really thought I knew stuff about how yeah. people should live their lives. And that's fine and normal. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a fun little aside before we talk about fucking genocide. Um, I mean, it was fun for me. I'm sure it was not fun for anyone else listening. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> well, I'm a no, woman. I, I really and, am fascinated by subcultures and the fact that there's an entire subculture that's grown up around the theory that Taylor Swift eats box is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Well, you know, the reason why she dated Maddie Healy is so that it would change the Google results of Taylor Swift 1975. Because when you Googled Taylor Swift 1975... Before, it led to um, articles and manifestos uh, and and clips of this thing called Kissgate, which is where people believe that they captured on camera Carly Kloss and Taylor Swift kissing at a 1975 concert. Okay, anyway, back to genocide. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so for real, though, there have been developments. Yes. The 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 ground assault on Gaza has begun. It started a couple of days ago. Um, there's there's active boots on the ground stuff happening. There is consistent rocket fire today between uh, Israel and Jordan and Israel and Syria. There were emplacements, rocket emplacements in Syria that fired on Israel, and Israel fired back. And then Israel's been going back and forth with. Uh, did I say Jordan? I meant Lebanon. With Lebanon uh, all day as well, and so this is a this is a consistent thing that um, the other day. Let me see if I can find it. the uh, The Israelis kicked out uh, Turkish diplomats because of Erdogan's comments about what's going on. Uh, Erdogan basically said, "Stop." Stop doing what you're doing. And Israel said, okay, well, your diplomats are out of the country. What's funny about that is that Turkey is a NATO country. (laughs) And so let's say just, you know, theoretically, an Israeli rocket finds its way into Turkey. Um, Turkey has a legitimate case for a defensive war against Israel, and Article 5 would apply. (laughs) (laughs) And so that could be interesting if if NATO is put in a position where it's like, uh, I guess we're fighting Israel now. <laughs> um, and I was talking to some people in in uh, about this, and and basically it's like I think that the only thing that can the only thing that would make the Biden administration leave NATO would be that would be Turkey and Israel getting into a conflict where Turkey is legitimately in a defensive position or can make the case for it, and. All of NATO has to help. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that definitely would not be the way that I expected NATO to go down. But, yeah, if it was going to be anything. It would be perfectly befitting for Clown World. But, um, more disturbingly... (sighs) More disturbingly, uh... 
Benjamin Netanyahu is directly referencing genocidal language. I'm going to say it that way. Because I don't know where to start with this. So, when the Jews were leaving Egypt... <laughs> oh, we're going all the way back there. Okay. Yeah, yeah so uh, during Exodus... <laughs> there was a tribe called... Uh, the, a tribe of, uh, that was called Amalek. The tribe of Amalek. And this tribe of people attacked the Israelites, so the story goes, as they were leaving Egypt, and they attacked them, and they uh, uh, sort of ran them uh, uh, north into Israel further. They were behind them, as the story goes, and there was a battle and all this other stuff. And so this became a sort of uh, almost, it reads to me as someone who is not religious, it reads to me as mythologized sort of eternal enemy language you know what i mean yeah it's uh, and it's definitely kind of turned it's turned into that too i mean i don't know if you want to expound on it i'm going to later, yeah but I, there's uh, some yeah it, it, it's it, amalek has been used in this idea of the tribe of amalek has been used as a metaphor to describe other things and other inner struggles or other concepts um but most recently, the uh, the the m- most uh, front page news coverage that Amalek has gotten is uh, just the words being used to incite genocide. That's it. That's now what it's most commonly known for because the uh, leader of Israel just straight up invoked pretty genocidal language straight out of the Torah. Yes. Um, Not metaphorically either. I mean, meant quite literally if you replace Amalek with Palestinians. Yes, and we're going to listen to that clip, but uh, there's some more groundwork that needs to be laid. Um, so you have this, this story of this ancient sort of event, right? And you have this, this, this sort of uh, mythologized aspect of this thing that is Amalek um, in Judaism that is read a million different ways. I was doing reading on it earlier. Um, the sort of the, the, the Chabad line on it is that this is an internal spiritual enemy, right? The, there are Yeah, other... well, the, the, the public Chabad line on it, like what they put on their website that's yes. meant for non-Jews and Jews learning more about Judaism, that's their line on it. Yes. I wouldn't go so far as to say that that's probably, I, I don't want to besmirch anybody, but, uh, Definitely, that's a, a really nice, like, little PR thing to put out there. Sure, <laughs> That sure. Chabad believes that it's, you know, internal struggles, right? Right. But that's one reading of it. It's also been used in, in sort of, and I'm going to drill down on some of the weirder stuff later, but it's been used in a metaphorical, metaphysical sense to talk about the Nazis, to talk about anti-Semitism generally, to talk about... Um, all kinds of stuff that 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 is sort of fits into the mold of a Malik, this this idea of a Malik, right? Um now this has also okay, hold on a second. Rolling back again. Um Netanyahu is uh currently still his trial is still ongoing for corruption, okay? And one of the things that he did most recently when he set up this this current uh, hard-right Zionist coalition government that he set up that has so far kept him out of prison 
um, this, this, when he set this government up, one of the things that he did that he promised them with it was that he would expand the settlements in the West Bank. Um, and that he would, uh, uh, that there would be some action toward reigning in the independent judiciary in Israel. And, and that was one of the things that, because they were kind of getting in the way of the more hardline Zionist sort of stuff, right? Um, and this is one of the things that was leading to several months ago, the nation of Israel was on the verge of, of civil collapse. Um, there, there was a, a growing, massive protest movement against Netanyahu's government because of what they were doing to sort of undermine what, what there is of sort of liberal institutions like the independent judiciary in Israel. This protest movement was getting huge. And um, all of that sort of came to an end after uh, October 7th. And in, in much the same way that, let's, you know, let's say, for example, there was a growing movement like that in the U.S. right before 9-11. There wasn't. But let's say there was. And then 9-11 happens and suddenly everybody's galvanized and, it, and it's, you know what I mean? Like, like this, is the, this, this was an event that sort of galvanized the population and gave, I heard it described on one of the Scott Horton interviews, um, I heard it described as giving Bibi Netanyahu the sort of mandate to lead. Right? Okay. Mm. Bibi Netanyahu has made these agreements with these far-right Zionists. We talked a little bit the last time you were on. We talked about how, like, the, the, uh, the security minister is a... Um, is a, one of these far-right guys who lionizes uh, uh, Israeli Zionist terrorists and things like this. Okay, Yeah, and th- there's a couple couple other of them in there, too. He's probably, like, the worst offender. Sure. But that, his, who, who Netanyahu has surrounded himself with, at the very least, lean, leans towards that kind of uh, extremist philosophy yes he's built his government the 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 sort of the the government that he put together is made up of the the controlling parties and the Likud in particular are these hard right guys these these hardcore right-wing guys and among that sort of set okay there is a literalist interpretation of the amalek sort of uh the the I've seen it described as the mitzvah to destroy Amalek. And yeah, there's there's three mitzvahs associated with Amalek. What are, do you do? You know those three off the top of your head? Destroy, destroy them. Remember what they did to you, and one other thing. The reason why I don't know them off the top of my head, besides the fact that there's just too many things in my head to know, um, is that I. And other people are of the camp that um, whatever those are, whatever they're interpreted to mean, they wouldn't even apply until the temple is rebuilt. So that does add a little bit of a there's a whole wrinkle get along there. Yeah, but that's a whole wrinkle in all of Zionism is this idea that like all of this stuff, all of us reclaiming the Holy Land, all of this is supposed to happen uh, before the Messianic period. Like all of that, all of that, that's a huge hitch in sort of the Zionist project overall from a theological perspective. Well, true, except there are still like a a good amount of the 613 mitzvahs that uh, I don't know if that's as central to some of the um, irrational logic that's used. Sure. 
because a lot of the mitzvahs, uh, no mitzvah is worth more than another either. Like right. in Judaism, kind of each commandment has the same value, no matter how big or small. Each sin is the same, no matter how big or small. Um, but but a large amount, the majority of mitzvahs, everyone would agree, you can't do because they involve things like um, the sacrifices that you bring to the temple, the right. offerings. Well, there's bring. no temple, so but then what there do you are, do with you know, that? You know, yeah. But then there are some of them, like the Amalek ones, that I guess minds differ when it comes to if those are applicable or not. Which n- not even kind of the people that believe it's applicable also jump away from any sort of logic because, like, are are the Nazis the direct descendants of Amalek? Right. This is the question, right? And you and, know, and there are- is <laughs> there is a literalist line, and it's and it's not. I'm not going to say it's popular. It's a it's a tiny minority of people, but they tend to be the most zealous, and it's the people who do have this literalist sort of line that. Um, the Palestinians or or Arab Muslims generally are um, are Amalek. Like like literally, the, these are the yes. people who are descended from that tribe of Amalek, and it is our duty to destroy them. That that's that's their position. And that that sort of literalist interpretation, like I said, it, it's a minority, but it is in 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 what I've read, it is one that exists in the most zealous. Of the political Zionists, especially on the right wing. I I did check to see which mitzvah I was forgetting. So I said it was to remember and to destroy. This is why I forgot. One is to remember. One is to destroy. And the other one is to not forget. Okay. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So with reference to all of this language, with everything that's being said, this is what uh, Benjamin Netanyahu came out and said. I'm just going to let this clip play. It's 53 seconds, but this was during a press conference. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu, this was uh, posted on the 28th, uh, said the following. You must remember what Amalek has done to you, says our Holy Bible. And we do remember and we are fighting our brave troops and combatants who are now in Gaza or around Gaza and in all other regions in Israel are joining this chain of Jewish heroes, a chain that has started 3,000 years ago from Joshua Ben Nun until the heroes of 1948, the Six-Day War, the 70th October war and all other wars in this country are hero troops they have one supreme main goal to completely defeat the murderous enemy and to guarantee our existence in this country we've always said never again never again is now alright there's the clip ugh never again is now that's yeah, original. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I've I haven't heard I haven't heard that one before. I haven't heard that one applied to um I don't know, Trump being elected. Like people have really watered down 
uh, when they used it. I mean, it up until after now, I don't know if you're familiar this was with this. The, this, was the, <laughs> yeah. this was the fucking, the, the justification that that asshole Leo Laporte was using when the Snowden leaks happened. That dickhole was on the on his fucking stupid podcast network talking about, well, when we said never again, this is what we were talking about, and trying to fucking make excuses for the NSA's prison program. Fuck that rhetoric. It is so stupid. You're still mad about that. I will be mad about that until the day that I die. <laughs> that moron, that fat moron sitting on his stupid podcast network eating live. Ugh. <laughs> I hate him. I hate him and his whole fucking bullshit thinking, uh, honestly, like, is, does he think he's being devil's advocate when he says shit like that? Because it's just stupid. It's just stupid. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. All right. Well, now that everyone is clear on how you feel about that. <laughs> I just, I hate that rhetoric. I hate that never again rhetoric. Yeah. It's used to justify every bad thing. Um, oh, it's used to, and it's used to justify panic over, over everything. Like, I'm not even joking about the Trump thing, right? Like, people, particularly liberal Jews, God, anytime something happens that, that they bought in to believe threatens, you know, liberal democracy. So no, ne- never again, never again. You right. know, oh, there's some white supremacists that like it. Ne- never again, never again is now. Yeah, exactly. It's it's used. I've never heard "never again" used and not been like, really. Th- this is what we're using that for. Yeah, it's always a cop out. Almost any time you hear "never again," "never again" is now. Uh, it's probably not being applied correctly no it's absolutely not it's a catchphrase it's being applied in this case i think it's being applied in this case to justify doing it again this is yeah but no it doesn't count because no 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 never again applies to jews and then groups that aren't jews if if generally we all decide that it's okay like you could say never again um in, in in reference to genocide in Africa sometimes, that's been signed off on. Um, but <laughs> most of the time, never again can only apply to Jews or causes in far-flung places that Jews decide they want to contribute money to. Okay, so like you can say so never again incorrect. about 9-11, but nobody's allowed to say never uh, again about I mean, bombing a you Yemeni know, wedding. He's a little torn on that. I mean, we did lose a lot of people on 9-11, so I guess. <laughs> Ugh. It's so, it, that's one of the things that's so aggravating about this is that there's, I, I think this, this is what I think was being done here, just to sort of, the, the groundwork is laid. Let, uh, I, I, my read on this is the following. I think this is the kind of thing that you've seen a million times in, in politics in the United States. When you have a politician who uses language that is designed to rope in, like, for example, evangelical biblical literalists, right? Hardcore mm-hmm. uh, evangelicals. They'll use language that's designed to rope those people in, but it's not being explicit so much that it would sort of... Uh, that it would push away the middle of the road grace message Bible Christians, right? That that are the majority of American Protestants. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. the sort of it, it wouldn't it, you 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 sort of use the language of the evangelical of the of the of the hard hard uh, evangelical while not being so explicit that you scare off the more moderate sort of uh, Bible Christian. You know what I mean? 
So mm-hmm. that that whole th- this th- that feels like what's happening here. That he's using the language of the hardline, super zealous. Uh, oh, oh no, I I I don't think that that's what's going on here. Everyone knows exactly what he means when he says that. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is that like, there's it's, no it's, like yeah. if you know, you know. If you know that that's sort of a that there's a hardline right wing position that exists that that thinks this about that. You know exactly what he's who he's messaging to there. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's 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 definitely not something where he's messaging it. And if you know, you know. I mean, there's not particularly in Israel itself, right? There's yes. not going to be people listening to that that go like, "Oh, he means the thing where like a Malik could be struggle within yourself." Everyone there listening knows exactly what he is saying. Yes, no, it's I agree. Actually, with you, more. But- yeah. But I think also what he's doing, though, he he is aware that the eyes of the world are on him. And so if he were to just come out and explicitly say, um, hey, so the Bible tells us to genocide the Palestinians and that's what we're going to do. If he just came out and explicitly said that, the jig is up. Right. But so he knows the eyes of the rest of the world is on him. And so he couches it in this sort of extra layer of ambiguity. D- does that make sense? Well, yeah, and also, I would actually be surprised to see the statistics of how many American Jews who aren't particularly observant have any idea who Amalek is. Oh, they don't know. But that's what I'm saying. They're the grace message, yeah. middle of the road, sort of, uh, <clears throat> sorry, they're the, the sort of middle of the road grace message Bible Christians in my analogy. Does that make sense? Like, you don't yeah. want to scare them off. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think a lot of the international community is that, too. In the analogy where it's like, like this is, you know, if 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 he just comes out and says, uh, hey, you know, um, the hardline right wingers uh, who are currently doing all the settlement in the West Bank and, and, and you know, at my behest and who are out there uh, out there currently, uh, we're going to cover a little bit of West Bank stuff here in a minute. But these guys are the, these guys are right. The Palestinians are a Malik and we have to genocide them. If they came out, if he came out and said that. Then the international community can't really be on his side anymore <laughs> and neither can just like like you said sort of um american jews who aren't particularly well versed but they're sort of the moderate you know middle of the road t- sort of guys it's like yeah i like that israel exists you know what i mean um you lose them mm. too and to a certain yeah. extent you might lose some of the kufi christians um not maybe many of them. I think there's I think there's a lot more support for genociding Palestinians among Kufi Christians than there is even among Jews. But um but you might lose some of them, you know what I mean? It it is interesting to me just how I I mean I I, I know that there are a huge amount of people who aren't Jewish who have no idea what the Amalek thing is. And there's a huge amount of Jews, uh, pretty much all the Jews I know. All my family, I'm sure they have no clue what a Malik means, right? Sure. None whatsoever. Absolutely no clue. I'm surprised I haven't actually gotten text messages asking me who a Malik is. Um, but for the people that know, right? Right. It, it's this interesting thing of being so incredibly blatant and bone chilling. And also not meaning anything to the people it doesn't mean anything to exactly. in a way where I feel like it's different than than being sly though. Like a lot of the times these messages tend to be a little more 
sly, a little more subtextual, and those who know pick up on it, and those who don't, don't. But nothing about this is subtextual, unless if you're taking out the reality that the subtext has to be that. Right, like exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying but, is, is sort of definition, the, like the idea of the dog whistle, right? Like, like if, you're, if you can hear the dog I, I whistle, mean, you're th- the this dog. Isn't even a, this isn't even a dog whistle, though. It is, it is, because there I are mean, people who, it, do, who just don't know and to whom that, that's just like, honestly, there's... Yeah, but a lot uh, of times dog whistles that, are, are like, uh, uh, dog whistles tend to be more subtle, where it's like, it's more subtle to everyone and you're not it's using very the exact subtle. It's words. very subtle, it's just not subtle to you because you know. That's what I'm saying. I, if, I if, know, if, but... When you hear the dog whistle, it's either like everybody says, if you hear the dog whistle, that means you're the dog. That's not really the case. If you hear the dog whistle, that means you understand what a dog whistle sounds like. If you if you've never heard a dog whistle before in your life, you don't know what you're hearing. You know what I mean? I think it's true here where it's like the the um, I think there's a ton of I, I think most of the rest of the world um, who isn't you know, well-versed in this kind of thing is going to hear that and just hear like, uh, it's just some Jewy shit. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to know the particulars. They don't care. They, it's, it's a, it's a part of a religion that they're not even a part of who gives a shit. You know what I mean? But yeah, it just something, something about it to me feels like a different thing than, than a dog whistle that, uh, and I, I wish I had some sort of example because that would actually make it clear when I'm thinking instead of just me saying like, nah, I don't think it's that. No, no, I but get it. There's get something, it. there's something about how unambiguous it is for those that know what it means and how easy it is to figure out that that's what it means. That yes. makes it feel m- much more straightforward and not, um, th- there's no even plausible deniability. Right. Well, it, there's t- no t- plausible okay. deniability. I think it's like this. I think it's as blatant as 1488. I it's as it's, it's as blatant that. as having 1488 in your handle on Twitter. And for people who don't know what 1488 is, which is a sizable number of people, it just looks like a string of numbers, just like in any other Twitter handle. But to a particular to to people who know, you know, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of how I see it. Is it's, it's it's I see it as as blatant as fourteen eighty eight. I I think it's a little bit more than that, but I I get what you're saying. But in any case, he's honestly he's whether he believes that sort of literalist, which I don't believe he does. I don't think this man is far. <laughs> this man is far too. Um, my read on this dude is that he is far too cynical. To have any principles or any deeply held beliefs. <laughs> so I don't think necessarily that this is a guy who believes in his in his in his heart of hearts that literalist reading that the hardline right wing uh, Zionists have. But he knows that those are his allies. And so he has to pay them lip service at the very least. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, him saying that signals to them exactly what what they want to hear. Exactly. I don't, he's, I don't know much about him, really, like, functionally. I don't know a ton about him. I know he's not particularly religious. Most of the leaders, honestly, in Israel have not, up until recently, been particularly observant. Yeah. Which is not that uncommon. For Israel, there's this, I know people think, like, Israel must be full of all, like, really religious Jews. It's not. It's still kind of a minority 
Um, no, you got your you got your really orthodox people, observant. and everyone else is pretty secular. Yeah, you, and then you got a got a little in between there of people, and then you've just got Jews. But the way that they do things, if they're going to do them religiously, is always the orthodox way. Yeah, that's that's kind of their their standard here in the United States. Most people, many people, are Reformed Jews or like conservative, like the conservative movement, not conservative philosophically. Um, people do that, right? But there, like every place you go, is going to be orthodox, and it's going to be done in an orthodox manner, right? Um, but Netanyahu is kind of more traditionally like most leaders in Israel. Uh, I wouldn't say secular, but more culturally Jewish. Yeah, he's um, not. He's not an he observant religious butters, Jew. Yeah, he knows who butters his bread. Yes, and that's the far right religious yeah. Jews that you know, believe, I would think most of them do just straight up believe Palestine is a Moloch, right? Palestinians are a Moloch. And I don't to know them, if it's, it's most, it's it seems so wacky to be that literal about that in particular, especially because, um, that, that tribe is dead. Like that tribe doesn't exist. Well, so the, except, but as all things in Judaism, right? It's, there's the literal interpretation and that's taken literally. And then there's a million other things that people can interpret it as, and the interpretation applied to the words then becomes literal. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of things that don't actually really make a lot of sense when you think about it. It's recursive, but, sort mean, of recursive hearing, literalism. Yes. I mean, I first learned about Amalek when I heard people talking about Palestinians being Amalek, and actually not just Palestinians. I mean, the, some of the people I was around kind of a general unspoken belief that a Moloch is just Muslims writ large. Yeah, that would make sense. No. I mean, here's the thing. At least yeah. that would make sense. But the problem with that is this. There's another problem with that. Um, and that is that uh, the early Zionists, the, the sort of, uh, you know, 1880s, right? Um, at the, with the establishment of the BILU. The, the early Zionists clearly did not believe that and you can you can know that because um <clears throat> the the manifesto that established the BILU uh it, it it talks about the diaspora it talks about this was written in 1882 by russian jews right who were living through the pogroms um this was a a which is where Zionism came from. I mean, it, let's not pretend that it didn't come, that it didn't uh, develop for a reason. This is these people were constantly being attacked. Um, so, so the, this this manifesto states uh, it, it runs through the the sort of history of the diaspora. It runs through um, the the it, it sort of is a call to action for Jews, and um, and then it says at the bottom it says we want, and there are two points. One is a home in our country. It was given to us by the mercy of God. It is, it is ours as registered in the archives of history, too. And, and remember, this is during the existence of the Ottoman Empire, okay? It says, two, to beg it of the Sultan himself, and if it be impossible to obtain this, to beg that we may at least possess it as a state within a larger state, the internal administration to be ours, to have our civil and political rights, and to act with the Turkish Empire only in foreign affairs, so as to help our brother Ishmael in his time of need. Our brother Ishmael is the Muslim world. Yes. That's the, that is because Ishmael was the, was it Ishmael, Ishmael and Isaac, right? 
Um, yeah, Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, so uh, the, the sons of Abraham. Ishmael is the uh, um, son of of uh, the con. I mean, honestly, I guess maidservant, shiftra, uh, concubine, basically the other wife, uh, Hagar. Right. So sort of the, this is to put it in context. The 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 two sons of Abraham, who are the um, I'm I'm going to say mythological fathers of. The Jews and the Muslims. Yes. Like the the Ishmael is our brother Ishmael is Muslims. So it's not even and, this, and, and that this sort I of mean, anti-Muslim sentiment was was even at the core of Zionism when it began. No, it was not. I mean, the, the core of Zionism as it began uh, bears bears no uh, resemblance to to what it is now and it i mean it's literally written right as what the what the founding core principles were it bears zero resemblance outside of the name to exactly right and so that that that's the problem that i have with that that sort of position that well if it's a zionist position right a, a political zionist position that um that amalek is all of the muslim world that's a new development because originally there was no such case being made. And in fact, it was I mean, our I, brother Ishmael. I, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a core belief of all religious Zionists or all Zionists. Um, well, no, I'm saying if, if there's, if there's, if there is that. such a sect, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, there, and it, it tends to be, um, some of the, and this is just speaking from my experience, right? I don't, there's a lot of different communities and a lot of different just individual beliefs in those communities, but the people that I heard that from actually tended to be some of the people that would be even more likely to not go back to Israel, like just in case, right? Like just in case you're not supposed to go back before the temple, but oh. were also incredibly, incredibly hardline against Muslims and anyone that threatens the Jewish state, that's kind of its own little subculture of people who, I guess, they don't want to risk it, maybe. Like, they won't go back, or they're a little apprehensive about going back. But, because Israel does exist, they're incredibly hardline about right. it. So, while they personally might kind of almost have some doubts, I think those doubts are wiped away by, well, if Hashem wanted this, this is what it will be. So we will protect and defend, you know, Israel from whoever we see to be um, an enemy. And right. a lot of these people who are not particularly educated, it's not an excuse. Like, ignorance shouldn't be an excuse for hatred. But it, I do see some of these people that I knew just having zero context for any any part of the world that wasn't them. So to them, Palestine is Muslims. And Muslims are Palestine. Yeah, they and don't know about the the, the, it. the ridiculous number of Palestinian Christians that exist in both the West Bank and Gaza. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they have no clue. And and if you tell them, right, about the Christians there, they're like, ah, whatever, you know, they're, they're Arab, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, so are a lot of Israelis. Yeah, exactly. Actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Funny how that works, if everyone comes from the same region. 
in any case, that that's one of the things that you had mentioned that earlier, and I was immediately, I, I immediately remembered from this this manifesto that idea that like the Jews didn't have a problem with the Muslim world during the beginning of of Zionism. At least, at least the earliest Zionists didn't um, didn't yeah, have a it, problem it, with the Muslim it, world. It it wasn't it wasn't a part of it. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of these people, particularly like where they were from, it didn't become a part of it until after the United States and Israel yeah. and the Saudis imported and and developed extremist Islam in the Middle East, all throughout the Middle East. That's when that became a problem. Let's be honest. You know what I mean? Like, the, I mean, it's, I mean to, to my knowledge, what wasn't there? There was some tension, though, between Jews and Palestinians prior to that. But that seemed to come out of settlers like jewish yes. settlers yes yeah absolutely it wasn't religious it, it, it wasn't, wasn't religious com- war yeah it was it was and about real most estate. of these people <laughs> most of these people who were very early zionists right they like they probably hadn't met a muslim i would think the majority of them until they moved there <clears throat> if you probably if you not. live in in like a shtetl somewhere and somehow got out or if you live in western europe uh, would would they have actually even met a muslim i would think probably not i mean it would right? be it'd be a rarity it would be an extreme rarity i would think outside of you know the the really southern parts of of the russian empire when you actually yeah. get, which, oh, get, which they're, get up I mean, against that's the a, ottoman empire yeah. So, but, so I mean, that, that was certainly a thing probably, there, but but only if they actually, you know, lived near or like within that region. I mean, you know, you have parts of Russia, right, where there's tons of Muslims, yeah. but they're you know from that area. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's interesting to think of how how quickly like a a hatred can grow between a group of people who then just describe the hatred that happened less than a hundred years ago onto entire uh, thousands of pages of texts. Right. Right. Okay. So actually here's an interesting thing. This is something that I wanted to do. And this is part of the reason that I wanted you to come on for this episode, because you have the commentaries. You, you, you have, uh, the, what did you I say have it was? Like late commentary. 11th century commentaries on the Torah? Yeah. Well, let me briefly just kind of explain commentaries. Yes. Um, like, I, I have the commentaries. No, I have a commentary. So the way that the Torah is taught, um, you read it, right? It's There's the literal reading. If you read biblical Hebrew, then you understand what it means. If you don't, then it's translated into whatever, whatever language you speak. Um, and then there is the Aramaic translation, and that's pretty much in every Chumash. That means like the five books, or Tanakh, that's all of the books, so that's the five books of Moses, and then um, like prophets and other writings. There's the Aramaic, and then in many books, there is this little section that's Hebrew written a little differently, like kind of almost in a handwritten cursive. And that is Rashi's commentary. Um, there are many different commentaries on the Torah. They consider the, the translation into Aramaic a commentary in and of itself. Most of reading the Torah has to do with textual interpretation. 
And translation is a big part of that. So how it was translated into Aramaic from Hebrew provides one angle of understanding what the words mean. What word you choose, because there's a lot in the grammar that can be somewhat ambiguous. The Rashi commentaries are considered kind of the most basic intro commentaries, and that's what you learn first when you're learning Torah. Um, there are other commentaries by people like Maimonides. Um, you know, most of them are kind of thousands of year old, thousands of years old. Some of them hundreds of years old. But the way that the Torah really is read is read through these commentaries. The literal words are not really considered to be enough. And the only one that I ever really did that much of was Rashi because I started Orthodox Jewish Girls School as a junior in high school. And so they had me in the remedial classes <laughs> because <laughs> that's the only time outside of math that I've ever been in a remedial class. I was in a class with freshmen who'd been in the school for forever who just couldn't sit down and muster up enough stick to to read through a commentary that's written for like nine-year-olds. Um, so I have the Rashi commentary and the Rashi commentaries. Um, Rashi was a rabbi who lived in the late 11th century and died in the early 12th century. Um, he was named Rav Shlomo Yitzhaki. And he was also, besides being a rabbi, he was a vintner. And his commentaries are considered kind of the, I wouldn't say, at, at foundation. It's the first commentary that you look at. And the first kind of commentary that you learn when you're going into Torah study, which is incredibly complex. And the commentaries build on each other. And where they kind of contradict each other, um, people just find a way that they don't contradict that they actually mean the same thing. And so when I saw all of this about Amalek, I thought, what did my good friend Rashi say? <laughs> because I do not recall any of this. I, I, I can't remember when I first heard of Amalek, and I heard of it in the context that it's being used. Yeah. But I do know that I know about it, and I must have learned it then. And I have a series you, well, you of do the know, Rashi commentaries. You do know that you heard about it, and you must have learned it then, because when you opened up um, these yes. books earlier, when I, it had been underlined <laughs> and bracketed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm looking at it. You already read about this at some point. <laughs> I'm... I'm looking at it right now. This is Sefer Shmos. That's Exodus. And I turned to the section in Exodus. And I saw this underlining. What, what was underlined? What was underlined was, Write this as a remembrance in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Because I shall surely wipe out the memory of Amalek under the heavens. I thought, that's strange. I turned the page. Well, that's odd. Uh, there's another section that's bracketed. <laughs> it's directly that page afterwards. And it's it's the end of the Parsha. It's the end of the section. And what is bracketed is, For there is a hand on the throne of God. Hashem maintains a war against Amalek from generation to generation. Okay. I cannot tell you what possessed me to underline that. Because I didn't buy these books until 2015. And I was years out of high school by then. And I was never, you know, pro-genocide. 
Yes. So I don't know um, when I underlined <laughs> this. I know that I did. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. And so it, to there provide must have been some, a reason at the time to provide some textual context. Most of the mention of a Moloch that's being used as 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 it is now in in this in these sort of contexts comes from Deuteron- uh, Deuteronomy and First Samuel. Um, yes. the other the the names for which I don't know in Hebrew, but the Devarim and Shmuel. Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah, Deuteronomy and, and First Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> um, you should just say Devarim. It's a much easier word than Deuteronomy. What the hell is that? Just say Devarim. It means words. <laughs> anyway, because that's that's how they name the books. This is a super ten second interjection. The way that the books are named in the Jewish tradition is it's just the first word of every book. So Genesis is Bereshis. That means creation. Genesis. Uh, and Exodus is Shemos. Shemot. That means. Oh, God, is that the one that means words? That's the one that means words. It's just because it's the first word in the book. And devarum means, like, things or something like that. There's no inherent meaning. It's just, oh, this is this is the first word of the book. Yeah, Let's it's not a name like that. a name. It's just taking the first word and saying that's the title. Um, yeah, they do the same thing with the section names. Very, yeah, easy. Okay, so... Um, uh, the, the ones that are the most cutting are in devarum and Shmuel. Yes, that's that's the ones what I'm that saying. The, the, most. the ones that are being quoted from the, those are those two mentions of 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 the tribe of Moloch over Moloch. Um and so which one was the one that you were reading first earlier because I I seem to recall that in in those commentaries that you have it was explicitly stated that all of the Muslim world is the bad guys and we need to kill them all. No, actually, it talked about how you shouldn't lie about weights and measures because it'll provoke people to attack you. I'm sorry? Yeah. <laughs> okay, can you navigate to that yeah. portion and read that real quick? <laughs> yeah, all right. So, this is Devarim. De- Deuteronomy, what do the Goim call it? Deuteronomy. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, paragraph 17 in here paragraph 17 let's start with 17 remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you were leaving Egypt that he happened upon you on the way and he killed among you all the weaklings at your rear when you were faint and exhausted and he did not fear God it shall be that when Hashem your God gives you rest from all your enemies all around in the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance to take possession of it you shall wipe out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. Sorry, that was loud, but there's an exclamation point. I wanted me to be loud. All right, that's that little section. Okay? Okay. And that was that 17 now, through you might 19? Not think, or is that just 17? I believe so. 17 okay. through 19. Right. Now, now I'm going to read you sections 13 through 16. And you might think, why would I do that? Well, Rashi wants me to tell you why. Sections 13, proceeding, all right, beginning at 13, ending at 16. You shall not have in your pouch a stone and a stone, a large one and a small one. You shall not have in your house a measure and a measure, a large one and a small one. A perfect and honest stone shall you have, a perfect and honest measure shall you have, so that your days shall be lengthened on the land that Hashem your God gives you. For an abomination of Hashem your God are all who do this, all who act fraudulently. Followed up directly by remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you were leaving Egypt, etc., etc. 
it's kind of odd to put those together. Sure. Well, our good friend Rashi says that these are actually linked. Meant to be read together. Yes. Why is that? He does. Well, what Rashi says is he translates section 17, which is, remember, beginning with remember what Amalek did to you. He says, remember what Amalek did to you. If you were untruthful about measures and about weights, be worried about provocation by the enemy. As it says, dishonest scales are an abomination to Hashem. And afterwards it is written, inequity comes and humiliation comes. And what the footnote on that commentary is, we would have expected the commandment to remember what Amalek did to follow the account of Amalek's attack upon Israel. It is put here to teach us that dishonesty in weights and measures leads to attacks by enemies, such as that of Amalek. Alternatively, we would have expected for an abomination of Hashem, your God, are all who do this to appear after prohibitions against dishonest weights and measures, and not after a commandment to keep honest weights and measures and the ensuing blessing in verse 15. It follows verse 15 to allow it to be juxtaposed with the commandment to remember what Amalek did, and thus to imply that committing the abomination of dishonest weights and measures provokes attack by the enemy. And I believe that footnote is referencing another commentary. Okay, so... The, so that's the, what Rashi first thought. That's okay, what first so came to the, mind for the, Rashi. In reading that, it's that, okay, so remember the fact that you were attacked, remember what it was like to be attacked, and use that as fuel to be honest and to not to to not be a, a, a fraudster, a shyster, a crook, because this will cause people to want to attack you. Yes. Okay, but it didn't say anything about Palestine. He was more concerned with grapes and stuff. I don't know why he'd be thinking about a place like Palestine. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's Palestine to a French vintner? Okay, but but so okay. I mean, right. well, actually, honestly, the Crusades were going on at the time, right? So you know, but um, no, it's not what comes to mind. The, this is it's, what's so interesting to me is that. The most sort of okay, so what what you described is sort of the foundational commentary that that you that that people are introduced to. This is what little kids read. Yeah, this is it. it doesn't say anything about Muslims. It doesn't say any. It references the Holy Land, and it says that. What does it say particularly about the Holy Land? Can you can you read re uh, redirect to that? Um, I believe it was in the seventeen through nineteen chunk. Mm. It shall be that when Hashem your God gives you rest from all your enemies all around in the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance to take possession of it, you shall wipe out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. Okay, first of all, look, I'm I'm not a I'm 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 not a Jew, but that reads to me like it's contradictory. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, most of it is. That's why they have all these commentaries. But to me, that would read to me like because... that would read to me like what you're saying is, uh, you you can't forget this until the remembrance remembering it is no longer necessary. 
Yeah, it doesn't really make sense there, right? Especially because those two commandments are, you must remember, do not forget. <laughs> right, well, it's do not forget. And, and destroy. But then at the top, it says, at the, well, it says, wipe out the remembrance. And it, so I uh, would be curious. Rashi, well, I would be curious th- about this is, the direct. I would be curious about the translations there, because to me, if you're wiping out a remembrance and in the context of being told not to forget about something, then you're not talking about the posterity of a, of a nation or a people. You're talking about the literal memory that you're being told to hold on to. Does that make sense? Yes, and I'm actually, my my biblical Hebrew is better than my modern Hebrew, um, but I can tell the difference. I, it's not great, but I still can tell the difference between words. And they are using a different word for remember, zacher, which is the, that means memory, or like remember, and do not forget. Those are two separate, specifically meant to be separate things um but if you want to see what rashi thinks about what wiping them out means right what what is a malik right sure. is this like a an, an idea isn't it a people a what are you what are you supposed to be um, wiping he, out it's the palestinians it's the palestine it's got to be you shall wipe out the remembers of Amalek, from man unto woman, from infant unto suckling, from ox unto sheep, so that the name of Amalek not be mentioned, even with reference to an animal, by saying, this animal belonged to Amalek. Okay. And that's the Palestinians, right? That's what it says? Uh, no, there's just some stuff about killing and what tails are. Something like that. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything. I am seeing... No, actually, that is not... Yeah, no. I do find that very uh-uh. interesting because I'm not, I'm, I'm not in the business of writing biblical commentaries, obviously. But to me, reading that, and, and again, depending on the original words that were used in the original text that things are being translated from, I would be tempted to read that as... Um, the 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 remembrance will be wiped out when it's no longer necessary to remember, and that is when uh, uh, God returns to the Holy Land. Yeah, does that well, make sense? Like these... that's what that means. That that's what that reads like. I don't see how you can read it any other way, really. There is a section about homosexuals. <laughs> I, I feel like I can't leave out that there. There is a yeah, section about homosexuals. Can you, can you refer to that real quick? God, I'm not I, I, was sure. a dis- uh, I was a little disappointed. Why? It's an Abrahamic religion, this. man. They all have the same hang-ups. <laughs> but much like many things, that also is a question of interpretation. Um, <laughs> all right. This is referring to... So after the section about... So 17, the first sentence. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you were leaving from Egypt. Rashi draws that to the weights and measures. Sure. 18, that happened upon you on the way. That is where he starts talking about sodomy. Um, that happened, that he happened upon you on the way. The word, karcha, I think. No one's going to know if I'm saying the word right or wrong. That's listening to this, I assume. Um, karcha expresses chance alternatively it is related to the impurity of seminal emission and pollution 
For Amalek, so this is brackets, for bracket Amalek would pollute bracket Israel through homosexual relations. Alternatively, the word karach expresses cold and heat. Brackets Amalek chilled you and cooled you off from boiling heat. For the nations were afraid to do battle with you, and this one, Amalek, came and began to do battle and showed a place, i.e. opened up the possibility for others. This can be compared to a boiling hot bath into which no person could descend. One scoundrel came, he jumped, went down into it. Although he was scalded, he cooled it off for the others. And there's also some section about cutting off circumcised penises. But again, um... No Palestine. It seems that could very also be, I mean, here's the thing, too. That, uh, that stuff about homosexuality, though, hold on. If you read that in the context of uh, war rape. Yes, which it, is it how a lot of something people different. do think about. Th- that is how, uh, and I, it was a very long time ago that I went to this lecture, but it was, it was in college. It was actually really good. It was a lecture about sodomy in uh in the Torah and in Judaism and what the Torah says and what it means and what different people have translated and interpreted into meaning. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that sodomizing someone, forcibly sodomizing them, raping them is a bad thing to do. Yeah. Right. That that's violence and that it's a a thing you shouldn't do to people, which uh, everyone who's a decent person would agree on. Sure. It doesn't have to do with sexuality. That has to do with, not wanting to harm people. Yeah, because that, that reads to me, I mean, this is all in the context of a war. This is all in the context of, of, an, of an attack that occurred. That is, this is considered to be a literal attack that occurred on a fleeing people. Um, it, it seems to me that you would have reference there not so much to homosexual sodomy, right, as such, but more uh, as, as reference to war rape. As you know what I mean, like, yeah, like as, you see from from aggression. Vikings and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a known thing throughout history. People using sexual violence in war, right? That's a. But the point, the point though, that you were trying to make before I got distracted by the concept of war rape is, um, uh, the, the there's no Palestinians mentioned at all. No, nor do they make it sound, and I mean, okay, so Palestinians, you know, as they're conceived of today, blah, 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 Rashi wouldn't have known that, okay, but if you're, fine, but if you're looking at how this is being viewed, if we're going to some foundational commentaries for how they're thinking of it at the time, and this is supposed to be a man that was very close to Hashem, that was a holy person, he's not just a guy writing things, he's almost divinely inspired, as close to a prophet as one can be after the times in which there were actually people Hashem spoke to directly. Mm-hmm. What he sees when he looks at this is a reference to a certain people and a message about preventing provocation. He, this is literal to him. It's about Amalek. When he's talking about the attack, it's not about another group of people. Like a, a general idea. Amalek isn't a concept. It is an actual nation, and this was an actual attack. And the message we're supposed to take from it does not appear to be any sort of message about Amalek living through others or Amalek being an ongoing threat. It has to do with, uh, remember how bad that was? Okay, here's how you, here's one way that you can make sure it doesn't happen again. Yes. 
And and also, honestly, some of the commentary is very Rashi-like. He uh, he's he he translates why they say when you were faint and exhausted, you were faint with thirst and exhausted from the journey. Like that's also how banal it is. He's Rashi saying, well, what did Hashem mean by that? Oh, they were faint with thirst and they were exhausted from the journey. Yeah, and that's that. You know, there's not. <laughs> so there's this is this is one of the things that I find fascinating about Judaism as a religion is that much like Christianity, there's a million little sects and a million little 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 versions of the religion that people uh, uh, hold to. Um, and especially among a lot of the Orthodox sects that I've seen. And yeah, I know some of these people are sort of, uh, uh I, I, I stopped just shy of saying cult-like. Um, there, it, it depends. I mean, there definitely are some groups that sure. I do believe to actually be more cult than religion. Um, but then there are just some people like every religion that it's not a cult, but they, they profoundly believe and they're pretty set in their beliefs. And the number of them that are deeply anti-Zionist, and and who, who secretly? No, even even loudly. The some of these some of these Orthodox groups they're that, organized that's around a the very, idea. That's that's there are more people than those groups. No yes. one actually actively yes. outside of those groups. It it still is. I mean, Jews are a tiny amount of people, just generally speaking, compared to the rest of the world. That is a even tinier group. Yes, um, so, sure. I've never. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that's not the case. I'm just saying there's there's there are several groups of of that that don't even like each other, <laughs> but they're all very uh, anti-Zionist. And it's a it it to me it, it's it's just fascinating to me that you can have these sort of things become accepted so broadly. And by that I mean sort of as like a mainstream thing. I think you would be hard pressed to find uh, a a sort of a, a a an avowed anti-Zionist Jew just like at your local synagogue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by mainstream. I, I think I think you would have a hard time coming up with that. I, I think the the sort of the the idea of political Zionism is, is so ingrained that it's um that it, it, it it's just sort of the default position, you know? Much like it is among Christians. Um, because it's the same thing with Christians. If you were to if you were to go to your local church, uh, whatever kind of church, be it you know Baptist, non denominational, Pentecostal, whatever it is, you go to your local church and you start asking people like, "Hey, uh, the Zionist Project, cool?" They would be like, "Yeah, awesome." You without even knowing what you mean when you say the Zionist Project, not even knowing the history of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just there's one kind of general understanding that people have when you could be saying one thing and a person thinks you're talking about one thing and actually it's <laughs> very much not what their assumption is um, because the Zionist and Zionism has been claimed by so many people that it's just kind of the default position even if, even if there are no specifics attached you know what I mean like I, I think you would yeah. have a hard time. I think there are a lot of people who would say that they support, you know, that they support Israel and all this other stuff. I think you would have, you might have a hard time getting a clear definition of Zionism out of them. 
especially the Christians. I don't know about the Jews. The Jews probably you could get something out of, but but the Christians in particular, uh, I don't I don't think they can tell you what the word means a lot of the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and uh, most Jews, it would probably be. I mean, if if they could define it, right? They they could probably throw together something because we know what it means generally. Uh, you know, a belief that Israel is for the Jews. Right. It would probably be that for most right. people. About one one to two sentences. Yes, absolutely. Um, but in any case, th- this is one of the things I, I, I... Part of the reason that I wanted to, to point that out is because I've been seeing a lot of people, Nikki Haley uh, among them. Oh, um, God. Talking, yeah, talking about how... Uh, I think Nikki Haley said that the Biden administration is too cowardly to say what everybody knows, that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. They're the same Which, thing. no, not everyone knows that, because they're not. I love it when somebody um, like her, who isn't Jewish, who's not from the Jewish tradition... I don't know what lives- she claims her religion to be, but her parents are Sikh. Yeah, no, she she's Christian. She she converted, but her parents are Sikh, and I do believe her her father is like publicly presenting as Sikh. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he wears a turban. They're, like, they they're, are her parents she, are. She grew uh, up yeah. Punjabi immigrants, but I believe she converted to Christianity and is is public about that. Yeah, says she has, but she's. I mean, she's not. She's not Jewish. That's right. <laughs> right. I really love it when people that um, don't know what they're talking about tell other people on my a Jew's behalf that um, something is anti-Semitic. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's one of the things that I find I find incredible about, you know, you've got and, and, and again, with some of these uh, these sort of hardline orthodox organizations, but you've got guys out there. With curls and everything, talking about how the chaos. Uh, talking about how yes, sure. Uh, talking about how uh, the um, the uh, nation of Israel and the the acts of the government of Israel are not um, theologically Jewish, <laughs> like that they are that they are against the 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 teachings of Judaism. And yet you have people like Nikki Haley who will come out and say, well, being anti-Zionist is being anti-Semitic. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Is it anti-Semitic for me to disagree with Benjamin, with Benjamin Netanyahu or this orthodox guy yelling on, a, on the street corner in New York? Which one is it anti-Semitic for me to disagree with? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I will say, like, I know because of the Internet, it might make it seem like there's more of those guys in the park. Like oh the no, there's not. I was looking at their. I was going through yeah. looking at their website. There's hardly. At, I, I went through and read about them. It, it's a very small number of guys. It absolutely is. It's a very small number of guys, I, and their websites look like they were built in 1995. They're terrible oh, yeah. websites. Well, uh, actually, <laughs> those are a lot of people that could belong to sects of Hasidic Judaism that um, don't believe in using technology. Not like the Amish. No, but that there's temptation and and things that could happen and things you could be exposed to. Well, it would explain godly. why they hadn't updated no. their website since 1995. <laughs> they probably have access to one computer. <laughs> and 
that computer's been around for 20 years, and they just have a little website and they run it. And that's that. <laughs> right. But all that I'm saying is, is that coming from coming from a Christian background, especially where you have all these denominations and stuff like that, and not being raised in a denomination that was an, exclu- an exclusivist sort of denomination. Like there are a few uh, Christian denominations that say they're the only real ones. Um, the Catholics are, of course, one of them. But the, the, the Church of Christ does the same thing. Um, sort of the position that we're the only real ones. We're the only real Christians. Um, and coming from a from an upbringing where that's not really something that I find to be legitimate, um, the, it it seems to me. I mean, those guys are no less Jewish than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we Judaism has has coexisted with a lot of different groups and denominations, but the the unique thing about Judaism, probably not unique to all religions generally, but unique when compared to some parts of Christianity is that none is considered to be one or less Jewish. A lot of it's just interpretation of customs. Right. And there, I mean, there were actually some pretty, pretty vicious fights between um, the Hasids and the non-Hasids back when there was a czar and uh, the Vilna Gaon of Lithuania snitched on the Chabad Rebbe and got him snitched on him to the czar and got him thrown in in prison that's kind of the last time that anybody did something like that like <laughs> yeah they disagree with the ones that are anti-zionist but nobody's snitching on anybody to the czar that's kind of the last time that there was such a serious um uh religious disagreement that it led to like an actual conflict or strife as opposed to well you know we just don't read it that way but they're still jew they're not doing it wrong it just different yeah they're not they're not strictly i i i don't have any i don't have any claim to say that i'm the only one doing it right that kind of thing yeah and part of that comes from i mean like all those commentaries and interpretations so a lot of different things coexist so it's 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 that's all i'm saying is like that that guy that guy yelling on the street corner in new york about how about how the zionist project is 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 uh theologically illegitimate um i don't see that guy that guy's not that guy's not an anti-semite he's a jew you know what i mean like it doesn't well, it doesn't I make mean, any also, fucking I'm, sense that anti-zionism I'm, and anti-semitism I'm not would be an, the same thing i'm not an anti-semite sure. you don't even have to go so far as to the guys that were giving speeches supporting mahmoud abbas <laughs> <laughs> it's it's illogical you know, it doesn't make any the, fucking sense. And, and to have a Christian tell me, hey, <laughs> anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. It's yeah. just mm, chef's kiss. Yes. Anyway, so that's what's, um, what's interesting. I just find it to be really interesting. The, the idea that, that this sort of hardline right wing uh, uh, language that that that's, that's what got us onto this this sort of this sort of language that's being used by Benjamin Netanyahu is um, it it doesn't have in sort of the 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 uh, what you described as like the introductory sort of primary uh, primary school level uh, commentary doesn't doesn't even say that this is a people that still exists. No, I mean, and that I'm sure there's a commentary somewhere that does, but there's a hell of a lot of commentaries and it does appear that this is kind of, you know, more recently 
been applied because it's convenient. Well, because 10 years ago it was Iran! Well, yeah, and uh, over 100 years ago it was the Cossacks. I just find it, it's just so, I just... It was the Cossacks, and then it was the Nazis, probably, probably some communists at some point. You know, there's just, there's been a lot of people, but it does not appear that the intention was for it ever to be um, words used for, as a galvanizing force against a alleged oppressor or an alleged enemy. Yeah. But Um, it is very useful if you want to... It's very useful galvanizing language for ethnic cleansing. Exactly. If you want to use it that way. Exactly. And on the topic, while mm-hmm. the invasion of Gaza has been going on, and, and sort of as this conflict in Gaza was ramping up, um, the settler militias in the West Bank have started uh, expelling whole villages of Arabs. And and uh, Palestinian Arabs from their homes. Uh, this is happening mostly in okay. So the West Bank, just to lay a little bit of groundwork, the West Bank is organized into areas. Okay, area A, B, and C, and these are not. It's not like it's cut laterally along the West Bank where you have like at the top is area A, in the middle is area B, and at the bottom is area C. That's not what it is. Area C is the area that Israel claims is theirs. And areas A and B are islands in area C that don't touch each other. They're, they're, non, they're non-contiguous little chunks uh, within area C that are considered to be uh, what are called Palestinian enclaves. All right? That's how the West Bank is organized. And what seems to be happening is especially in, I believe it's in the south of Area C, the settlers have decided, well, it's time to move. And I don't know if you, this settlement project in the West Bank is a fascinating thing because it's an interesting mix of non-governmental organizations and the government of Israel. Uh, supporting this stuff. The government of Israel helps them set things up, but so do organizations like Kufi, um, Christians United for Israel. The, the, uh, these, there's a ton of NGOs, a ton of NGOs that help to set up these settlements throughout area C in the West bank. And, uh, the, the, this was ramped up under Benjamin Netanyahu with this current, his, his current right wing government. Um, and I know it's such a buzzword to say right wing, but like they are like, these people are legitimate, hard right fascists. Yeah. Like that's what they're, yeah, that is their uh, political position. Yeah, this is. It's it's not it's not just a catchphrase. They they definitionally yes this are is, this is... actually kind of like the people that the liberals in uh, the United States have feared so much. Hard you know right wing religious fascists like no yes. they exist and and you're you're sending them a lot of tax dollars. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so that 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 the settlement sort of project was ramped up under Benjamin Netanyahu as part of his deal with this right wing government. Yada yada yada. Um, and what that entails a lot of the time is kicking uh, Palestinians out of their homes and taking them. And in fact, there was one, there's a video that gets around of, a, uh, of one of the settlers saying, look, man, if I didn't take your home, somebody would. Basically, like, like it's just, it's going to happen. That feels really, like, Nazi Germany-esque. Yeah, it almost does, right? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like, like, well, like you guys are going to be leaving anyway. The same. 
everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it'd be a shame for such a nice house to be so vacant. You know. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, these uh the, this has been this has been ramped up and the reason I say settler militias is because these people are armed um some of them are armed by local authorities, local police, some of them are armed by the Israeli government, some of them are armed by the NGOs. But arming these people has become something that that's that's uh accepted and expected and it's 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 broadened the program of arming the settlers and what they've started doing with these arms. And again, I don't know if this is at the behest of the NGOs. I don't know if this is at the behest of the Israeli government itself. I don't know how involved Netanyahu is in these decisions. It may be at the behest of themselves. Sure. Yeah. It could be they're acting totally independently, but these, the, the people that live in those areas, like armed settlers, people who'd be part of a settler militia, they don't need any encouragement or permission from anybody else. That's another aspect of this, is that it's the most zealous Zionists who are settling in the West Bank. People don't do that. People don't do that because it's like, it's almost like, you know, everybody who went to Texas was like escaping debt. (laughs) You remember back in the day? (laughs) Like, like everybody who was going to Texas was actually uh, somebody who couldn't pay their debts. And so they were, uh, you may all go to hell and I'll go to Texas and not have to pay my debts. Um... That's it's sort of a similar thing with the settlers in the West Bank, where the people who are settling in the West Bank are there for ideological reasons. It's not like, you know, Oregon Trail westward expansion. We can we can uh, build a better life for ourselves out west. It's um, in this case, east. It's um, it's almost as if Manifest Destiny were the ideology that motivated the people who actually went on the Oregon trail. Yes. It's these people are a very good encapsulation of what they're like. Yes. These settlers are hard liners and they are supported by funds from organizations like Kufi and a ton of, uh, of Zionist NGOs and the Israeli government themselves. Anyway, they organize themselves into these armed forces and they are, uh, ethnically cleansing the area, the areas around them. They're they're basically rolling into villages and saying, "Okay, leave. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That you can't you can't go home, and you can't stay here. Go somewhere else." And this is a there was an argument that I got into uh, the other day with a guy where he was talking about he he said that I kept saying that the state of Israel is involved in genocide. I never said that to him. I've said that before. I never said it to him. I, I was I was using with him in particular ethnic cleansing because I was also thinking about the West Bank. And the argument that genocide and ethnic cleansing are the same thing is stupid. Ethnic cleansing is the broad umbrella under which genocide falls. All genocides are ethnic cleansing. Not all, well, all genocides for ethnic reasons are ethnic cleansing, but not all ethnic cleansings are genocides. Rectangles and squares. So... He was talking about, you're using this newfangled lefty definition of genocide and all this other stuff. It's like, no, no, no. (laughs) If you roll into someone's town and you say leave, and and you leave not because I don't like you, you leave not because because you're a, a kid diddler or because you're a murderer. You roll into somebody's town and you tell them leave because you are Palestinian Arabs. Leave. Then that's that's ethnic cleansing. It's exactly what happened with with the uh, it's exactly what happened very recently 
with um with uh in in Azerbaijan. Karabakh? Yes, in, in Nagorno Karabakh with the uh the shit, I forget the term. Um Oh fuck. Um You know what I'm talking about. In Azerbaijan. The Armenians. In Azerbaijan. Yes. It's 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 exactly the same thing. You don't have to kill them all. You just tell them to go elsewhere. That's ethnic cleansing. And and that's and that is what the settlers have have perhaps taken it upon themselves to do. Perhaps they're doing this at someone's behest under the cover of the Gaza invasion because that would be a good time to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But this is this stuff is is actively going on in the West Bank and um there was a I was thinking about it, man. It got me thinking hard about the West Bank. And I was thinking, I'm like, you know, if if you were to say like, if you were to say it's like 2070, right? It's 2070 and... Not 2077? Oh, fine. It's 2077. Yes. Uh, Arasaka and Militech have just finished up the third corporate war. And the, yes, all of that. So... If you had some, let's say you had like a Central American nationalist movement, and they claimed that their territory was all the way up to the Red River that, that goes from, from Texas into Oklahoma, and, and they just started rolling in and telling people to leave their homes in West Texas because this is our place now. You, you have to leave. That would be cause for war. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. That's kind of how those things go. Like, there's no two right? ways you about come to that. someone's land. You you tell them to go. You say it's mine. They won't go. Yeah. So that's I, how it ends up. That whole thing to me, and it's an interesting thing too. The way that people were looking at it, like people were, there were people when when I was seeing reports, when I was first seeing reports of this ramping up of ethnic cleansing in the in the West Bank. Um, there were a ton of people in the comments who were saying like, well, then they shouldn't have voted for Hamas and all this other stuff. The average person, oh, God. the average person thinks weren't they elected in 2004 or 2007 they elected or something in the West Bank. Oh, the yeah. Average person. That, you see, I'm that, I'm <laughs> thinks that the West I'm Bank just, and Gaza I'm, are the I'm same just thing. Dumb. I'm just I think I think you have to take me out back and shoot me. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was 2006, I think, by the way. But no, the the you're 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 but that's the the immediate thought that people have is that the West Bank and Gaza all, are the same. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. But the PNA, it's that bit of Israel that isn't Israel, but they want it to be Israel. Yeah, this is the same thing. Yeah, it was such a. It was an interesting thing. The the uh, the PNA, the Palestinian National Authority, is the uh, and some people just call it the Palestinian Authority as a subtle snipe against the idea of a Palestinian nation. Um, the Palestinian that, National. Oh, that's always what I called it. I think that's I think always that what I called used, it because that's what I heard. I think that is used so much in the West because it's actually a subtle snipe against the idea of a Palestinian nation. Yeah, that must be what it was. The only times I ever heard people say it is as the Palestinian Authority. Yeah, I think that's one of yes, those things I've that never people. Heard PNA. I think that's one of those things that people do for that reason, and it just sort of became what people say. But I don't think it. I don't think it carries a positive valence. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, similar to like people who say you. Ukraine and the Ukraine. Yes. We're so used to saying the Ukraine, but actually to Ukrainians, 
Vukrainia and Naukrainia are two very different things that actually have to do with nationalism. But if you don't know, why would you know? Exactly. If you're not from there. I think the Palestinian Authority, Palestinian National Authority distinction is kind of the same. I think it's just become the way that people say it in the West because that's the way that our Israeli allies say it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a subtle dig. Kind of in the same way that, that people are now calling the IDF the IOF. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? No, I have not. There's a, there's a lot of people who are calling, uh, I say a lot of people, it's, it's mostly just you know activists and things, but they're calling the IDF the IOF, the Israeli Occupying Forces. Mm. Okay. As opposed to the Israeli Defense Forces. Interesting, interesting uh, uh, sort of language war, right, that people mm. get involved in. But um, there was a, and I need to get this pulled up. I, the people, people uh, conflate Gaza and the West Bank so hard, but, and this is from Antiwar.com, this was written by Scott Horton and Connor Freeman, um, Netanyahu specifically supported Hamas in Gaza in order to drive a wedge between the West Bank and Gaza, between the PNA and the whoever is the authority in Gaza. Now it's Hamas, right? Partially because Netanyahu supported him. Uh, from this story that Scott Horton uh, uh, published on Antiwar.com, um, uh, farther down in the story, it's not to say that Hamas is secretly controlled by Israel, but their seemingly antithetical interests are in fact closely aligned and serve each other's purposes. As Brian uh, McGlinchey, Andrew Higgins, Robert Sale, and others have exhaustively detailed for decades, Israel has provided Hamas and its precursors with both direct and indirect financial support. The day after the October 7th attack, uh, Tal Schneider railed against this policy in Times of Israel. Quote, for years, the various governments led by Netanyahu took an approach that divided power between the Gaza Strip and the West, Bran- and the West Bank, bringing the PA president uh, uh, Mahmoud Abbas to his knees while making moves that propped up the Hamas terror group. The idea was to prevent Abbas or anyone else in the PA's West Bank government from advancing toward the establishment of a Palestinian state. Uh, back to the story, originally born out of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, the right-wing Islamist movement was seen by Israeli leadership as an instrument to undercut the dominant position uh, to the dominant opposition to the occupation, Arafat's secular leftist PLO. Uh, beginning in the 1970s, Israel's backing of Hamas and its predecessor uh, uh, Majama al-Islamia, or the Islamic Center, uh, Muhammad, I guess, al-Islamia, the Islamic Center, was a direct attempt to divide and dilute support for a strong secular PLO by uh, uh, using a competing religious alternative, the former CIA official told Sale. According to U.S. intelligence officials speaking with Sale, quote, funds for the movement came from the oil-producing states that directly and indirectly, uh, directly and indirectly from Israel. In the early 1980s, the Islamist movement began radicalizing. This was precipitated by the rise of Hezbollah in opposition to the Israeli invasion and nearly two-decade occupation of, the southern, of southern Lebanon, as well as the overthrow of the, of the Shah Reza Pahlavi, the CIA-installed dic- dictator of Iran, and the subsequent funding of the Islamic Republic, uh, founding of the Islamic Republic. Why can't I fucking read today? The group known today as Hamas, or the Islamic Resistance Movement, was officially founded in 1987 and flourished during the First Intifada, or violent uprising against the occupation in Palestine. Despite the group's refusal for many years to ever recognize Israel's, quote, right to exist, along with the PLO dropping that maximalist demand themselves, 
Israeli aid to, Hama, uh, aid to Hamas continued to pace. This is because, quote, the thinking on the part of some right-wing Israeli establishment was that Hamas and the other groups, if they gained control, would refuse to have anything to do with the peace process and would torpedo any agreements put in place, the U.S. official told Sale. Indeed, Hamas condemned the PLO as traitors for going to the negotiating table with Tel Aviv in an attempt to work out a two-state solution. As Higgins later wrote in the Wall Street Journal, Quote, when it became clear in the early 1990s that Gaza's Islamists had, had mutated from a religious group into a fighting force aimed at Israel, particularly after they turned to suicide bombers in 1994, Israel cracked down with ferocious force. But each military assault only increased Hamas's appeal to ordinary Palestinians. Fatah also cracked down on Hamas during the 1990s over their tactics, including suicide bombings, which led to further clashes and bad blood. Following the second intifada, in which over 1,000 Israelis and 4,500 Palestinians were killed, uh, Likudnik Prime Minister uh, Ariel Sharon, that's Likudnik, that's uh, the Likud party. Ariel Sharon initiated a policy known as disengagement in the Gaza Strip, uh, Strip in the summer of 2005. Tel Aviv set out removing thousands of settlers and occupying forces. The Israeli army was redeployed in areas surrounding Gaza instead. On the surface, this may look like concession, but Likud's goal was to decisively kill the peace process and with it any hopes the Palestinians had for their right to return uh, or for a future state. Uh, as Dov Weisglas, Sharon's senior advisor, bluntly told Haaretz almost two decades ago, quote, The significance of the disengagement plan is in freezing the peace process. When you freeze that process, you prevent the establishment of a Palestinian state, and you prevent a discussion on refugees, the borders, and Jerusalem. Effectively, this whole package, called the Palestinian state, with all that it entails, has been removed indefinitely from our agenda, and all this with authority and permission, all with a presidential blessing and the ratification of both houses of Congress. The disengagement is actually formaldehyde. It uh, supplies the amount of formaldehyde that is necessary so that there will not be a political process with the Palestinians. The disengagement plan makes it possible for Israel to part conveniently in an interim situation that distances us as far as possible from political pressure. It legitimizes our contention that there's no negotiating with the Palestinians. And we've educated the world to understand that there's no one to talk to. We received a no one to talk to certificate. That certificate says, quote, there is no one to talk to. Uh, I'm sorry, that survey says, one, there is no one to talk to. Two, as long as there is no one to talk to, the geographic status quo remains intact. Three, the certificate will be revoked only when this and this happens, when Palestine becomes Finland. Four, you see then, uh, uh, see you then, and shalom. This has been the fucking plan. The entire goddamn time. And none of that even goes too deeply into, and Scott does talk about it, but none of that goes too deeply into the fact that the radical, uh, the, the um, radical, violent Islamist side of this was also created by the United States um, and the, uh, the Saudis and Israel, especially Israel, especially there. It's always been the plan. It always goes back to some group. That America funded how many decades ago? Every single fucking time. That's like the oh, yeah. theme of the last of the last thirty-ish years, right? Is oh my my, isn't the consequences of my own actions? Well, that was now, let remember, me exploit it. Well, if you remember during the Obama administration, it was after all this happened that the Obama administration was like, oh, we have to have a two-state solution, guys. We have to find a two-state solution. It was too late. It was too late. The Israelis had their marching orders. There was nothing that could be done. 
And that's if you even think there, that there should be a two-state solution, which, I mean, honestly, the, the only reason people landed on that is because it seems like it would be the thing that would work, maybe? Yeah, it, it sounds nice. It's and Well, it also buys into this idea, though, when people are like, peace in the Middle East. Two-state solution is not peace in the Middle East. No, the they're going to lob rockets Palestine back and, and forth, just like fucking Israel uh, does with Syria, just like Israel does with Lebanon, just like Israel does in Jordan. It's just going to be lobbing rockets until another war breaks out. A one-state solution is the only actual way for any sort of peace, which the ship sailed on that a long time ago. And if people didn't think it had sailed, well, boy, howdy, has it now. But if there was ever going to be some sort of a solution with enduring peace, it would require cooperation. Two states doesn't do that. A one but it's state a fun solution, thing that people could throw around. A one-state solution would and could work if... Zionism was not predicated on ethno-nationalism. But it's because it's predicated on on ethno-nationalism that it's entirely impossible. Because you could set up a country where people had representation, where people felt enfranchised, where people were free to work and live and buy. You could absolutely do that. But it's impossible. And well, all of the models for that that exist, some in the Netherlands, some in Lebanon... They, in the Netherlands, it worked better than in Lebanon. But countries that have done that, what they have in common is they're not ethno-nationalist states. Exactly. They can find cooperation. It's not easy. It takes a whole new political system being put into place. But it can work. Well, you think about but Scotland it, it, and the it, UK, right? The only reason that Scotland remains part of the UK is because, number one, they're allowed to be semi-autonomous. Semi-autonomous might be overstating things, but they do have their own local government. And number two, the UK, the, the, the English, aren't ethno-nationalists. They don't see the Scots as a different ethnicity that has to be cleansed, for, cleansed from their island. That's the only, that's the only way it's allowed least, to work. I, I mean, yeah. I, well, sure, now at least, yeah. Not to, that's what I'm saying, yeah. it works now. It works now because they're not trying to kill each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, you really can't have kind of a... a, a... (laughs) There's no peace where your neighbor is just waiting with gritted teeth to find a reason to kill you. Exactly. And that's the and that was the whole that that anyway, this was the whole plan was to separate. And this is why it, it irks me to such a degree when people act like well, with with the West Bank in particular, they're just like, well, they shouldn't have voted for terrorists then. And it's like, you don't even know that this isn't the same geographic landmass. Hey, that, hey, be, that, that be Gaza careful. Some people, the West Bank some people the hear thing. West Bank. Yeah, some <laughs> well, I understand. Forget that. I understand. Who are that. smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand that being the immediate reaction, but like. It, like if you take a break, if you take after a breath, you put your thinking cap on, you take yeah. A after you put your and thinking like, cap oh, on, that's not them. That's yeah. the different guys. Okay, yeah. But most um, people, oh, never mind. That. My argument, my argument isn't going to be well. Most of the people there who would be voting, they couldn't have even voted for them, or you know, well, you voted for Democrats. No, no. It's oh, time oh, to the argument the, now is just it's time to deploy the other. Yeah, one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's time. It's time to deploy the. Um, well, actually, that's not even the political group there. <laughs> Uh, 
Jesus. This this is just more disgusting here. This is um this this quote in particular. I'm I'm done reading from this piece, but this quote in particular is is uh Bezalel Smotrich, the leader of Israel's religious Zionist party and the current finance minister, was even more explicit. Quote, The PA is a burden, and Hamas is an asset. On the same international field in this game of delegitimization, and think about it for a moment, the PA is a burden, and Hamas is an asset. It's a terrorist organization. No one will recognize it. No one will give it status uh, at the International Criminal Court. No one will let it put forth a resolution at the UN Security Council. Then, uh, would we need an American veto, or would we not need an American veto? Given that the main game, the central court where we play now, is in the international delegitimization, there Abbas is beating us in significant spaces, and Hamas, at this point in my opinion, will be an asset. I don't think I have to worry about Hamas. Current finance minister! Betsalo? Is that the yeah, other guy that you're talking about? Yeah. Betsalo Smotrich? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he grew up in um in an uh, illegal settlement in the West Bank. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. And, yeah, I mean and, the, the, that's the, 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 there are some of the most motivation. Psy- psychotically um God, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I mean, honestly, they're they're basically ready to be martyrs for the cause those are the people even in like the finance minister position imagine the united states cabinet and everyone is the most extreme person that you've ever met in your life and that's that's the government that israel has yeah (laughs) this this uh this is hilarious to hilarious but you know what i mean um uh, last month, Netanyahu presented a map of the new Middle East to the UN General Assembly with Palestine from the river to the sea completely erased. Quote, there is no question the Abraham Accords heralded a dawn of a new age of peace, Netanyahu announced. I believe we are on the cusp of a more dramatic breakthrough, a historic peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. He continued emphasizing we must not give the Palestinians a veto over new peace treaties with Arab states. Palestine just fucking gone. I'm sorry. Did you say new map? Yes. He, oh, a new map. Yes. Yeah. That's not fucking terrifying. Yeah, this is the, uh, yeah, I can send you a picture of it real quick. Yeah, the whole, the whole thing is just. Getting, getting, this is, I, I do believe that ethnic cleansing is the goal. I know there's, I know there are some people who are just like, well, you know, maybe not, like, maybe they're still willing to do a two-state solution, maybe there's still some sort of thing going on there, no, no, ethnic cleansing is the goal. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how, how... How much a person has to tie themselves up in knots trying to think that this isn't ethnic cleansing. Because even if, let's say, they are talking about two-state solution, okay. Well, the two-state solution could um, very well include uh, Israel taking up new land, right? Like, there's no, just because it's two-state solution doesn't mean that where you kicked the people out into the pale of settlement, there wasn't some (laughs) sort of 
cleansing and um, conquering that yeah. happened. Like, e- even even in trying to come up with some way to explain why, no, this isn't that, it might look like that, but, you know, really what they're doing. No, the whole thing is when they kicked them out at the, the in the first place. Yeah. And they won't. Like, this is the not- problem. This is why this is why the ethno-nationalist angle is so important is because you could have a world in which Israel annexes the whole region and says, OK, if you're a Palestinian, you know, you're here's your social security card. Go find a job. You know, do your thing, live your life. But the problem is they, they can't do that. Because it's not just a nationalist project, it's an ethno-nationalist project. Yeah, and it's never been... If they had wanted to give parity to Palestinians, they could have a long time ago. I mean, how how deluded does a person have to be to believe that any of the um, endgame of this is... And then we'll be able to give everybody, you know, the same rights and they can all live in peace after we go through and we kick everybody out and we annihilate the entire region. Right. That, that, that's the end of this. We have to kill most of them before we can allow them all to, uh, you know, cross the border to go to work. And even then, I would be shocked if Israel gave Palestinian Arabs, the few that were left, if they gave them the same level of civil rights as a, an Israeli Jew. No. Absolutely shocked. I mean, they don't, those only go to Israeli Jews, you know? It doesn't matter who you are, even if you're an Israeli citizen. They, it's not, they don't have the same rights within the territory, so there's really no reason to believe the few remaining ones that weren't annihilated would be given more rights than a Palestinian who's an Israeli citizen. I think all that, all that can stop this, in my view at this point, I don't think the rest of the world is going to do anything about it. And frankly, I, I don't think no. they, that they should for the most part but but the the uh, the united states especially the the west is not going to do anything about this they'll say oh yeah this is a bad thing happening and then that's it just like with the, just like frankly just like with the holocaust the west will get together and say boy that sucks and then go home yeah isn't that so awful it it's a shame nobody could do anything to help anyone yes you know? exactly exactly and so the and don't give me that fucking there was a whole war about it. There was a war because of Poland. There was a war because of Pearl Harbor. There was not a war, a war because of the fucking Holocaust. Anyway. That I, I actually, I posted about this. Um, Did you really? Yeah, well, I posted about it um, in a reply that my own family has bought into that. My really? own family, I was in the car with my family, and one of them said, you know, in, in this country, we fought to Wars based on morals. I went, oh, God. Oh, Christ. Uh-huh. What were they? One was the Civil War against slavery. <sighs> now, for a Yankee, you know what? My family's Yankees, okay? I was more I was more like, yeah, of course you think that, all right? The next one was, and World War II because of the Holocaust. And I said, excuse me? Jesus. <laughs> And World then another I, family member. I mean, maybe not the United States involvement yeah. in it, but World War One was more about morality than any of the others, just because World War One was just because people were trying to keep their agreements. <laughs> and no, it, it just it caused it still this still trickled down. It still trickled down. 
even though there are another family member piped up and said, actually, that isn't true. They turned away a boatload of people. And I was like, all right. So at least 50 percent of the boomers in this car (laughs) (laughs) understand. But I mean, that that narrative is so ingrained that there are people that have tricked themselves into that when um, and I put this in my tweet, like my grandparents would have known that that wasn't true. Right. My grandparents would have known that that was absolutely not true because they lived through it and and not lived through it as like experience the Holocaust. My American family, grandparents here by that. They knew. Right. Like nobody knew as much as they later knew, but it wasn't like had any idea what was going on, because why would there be a boatload of Jews turned away if there wasn't a problem? You know, I'm sure that kind of. People kind of found out there was that boat, you know, like right south out of Miami. One, if they're a curious person, could have asked, well, why is there that boatload of Jews outside of Miami? Yeah. That's weird. And then they turned them away and most of them died. Well, died is were murdered. But it's not like nobody knew, right? But yes. that's what people have convinced themselves. I mean, people have... People do this all the time, but it is funny when you see certain communities and people from certain generations who just decide, nah, it's easier for me to believe this, right? Everything I've ever known, and the people that raised me know that it's not true, but let's just buy into this alternative narrative because it makes it easier to sleep at night, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as, I mean, this is the conversation that I've been having with a million people recently where about, about the idea of civilian casualties and the idea of, of, uh, of killing innocent people in, in wartime. And, and the, the thing that, the thing that they they can't get over is this idea that if they were because I know what they're thinking they're thinking that if they were Israeli if they were in Israel if they were especially in the IDF their immediate response would be I'm going into Gaza and anywhere Hamas is I'm killing it and if that means some kid over on the side gets hurt that's not my problem I understand that that's where they're coming from that's where they're thinking and so when somebody when somebody like Ace comes along and says, well, um, but here's the thing. If I'm in a mall and someone's shooting at me and all I have to defend myself with is a grenade, I am not morally justified in killing everybody around the shooter just because I have to defend myself. That's not the same. That doesn't give me that moral justification to do that. And people will argue with this. And I believe that they are arguing with it because they cannot, they cannot just accept that maybe they would do an immoral thing. They can't just accept that about themselves. They can't accept it's that like about the kind the of people. Animal. It's like the kind of people that say, well, I would never steal bread even if my family was starving because it's wrong. Bullshit! Yes, you would! Yeah, people... Uh, and no one is that good. Understand. Everyone would understand. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing about it, too. Is It's like you... <sighs> I know, and, I, and, I, and I've said this to a couple of these guys, I would do terrible things in defense of me and mine. Absolutely terrible, unforgivable things. But I would do them. I don't need to convince myself that they're moral because I believe I'm doing them for a good reason. I'm, I, am, I, am, I am comfortable in saying that the ideal of morality and the reality of what you have to do sometimes don't always match up. I'm okay with admitting that, and I'm okay with saying, I would do terrible things. But, I'm not, what bothers me so much about this is the fact that people have to whitewash this and act like, um, 
I have to whitewash it and act like what, what's happening when you bomb a building just because you suspect Hamas is in the basement. You bomb a building full of families. I, I'm, that's not moral. You may feel like you have to do it, but don't lie to me and tell me it's moral. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what bugs me about it so much. God. Just admit, just admit the reality. You're willing to do an immoral thing. Yeah, we all should be to a certain extent. But that, don't, don't lie, don't lie. Don't lie about it. I mean, those, those kind of people are the people that have that superiority complex in which anything that they would do must therefore be moral. Because they would do it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the point Ace made on the last episode we were talking about this. He was, he was talking about how, yeah, they, they believe that they are, they are moral people, therefore everything they do must be moral. And Absolutely also, insane. not particularly complex thinkers, right? Right. I mean, most people are pretty simple. They can't hold in their head um, the idea that a person, a, an otherwise good person, would engage in something that they might find wrong or abhorrent that they would never do because another thing that they are defending or protecting, like, family, you yeah. know, is, is going to be fucking killed well, unless they, they do it. They have to pretend that it changes the calculus of the morality itself. And it just doesn't. It just doesn't change the math. Is... I'm sorry, continue. What? Just the... I love the internet, right? And I think it's great <laughs> that we can all see what other people's opinions are and you know, just interact so quickly. Just you pull up tweets and just, uh, God, find out what anybody anywhere is saying. But also, uh, it's so easy as a smarter person, maybe not myself, right? Just smarter people. You can silo yourself if your friends are mostly smart. Um, <laughs> if you're just on Twitter generally, you got the hoi pull there. And they are always the most aggressive about well. arguing <laughs> it's one of the greatest one of the greatest videos of all time as democracy is is government for the people by the people of the people but the people are retarded <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is man um okay that's about all i had was there anything else that you had no if you i mean if you want because i'm sure this was their favorite part of the episode i could talk more about taylor swift you know I mean, what that, you feel you know, free to do that, and I just won't tell you when I've stopped the recording. How about that? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to plug anything or not? Nah? No, no, I remain okay. free of plugs. That's what I thought. Um, all right, <laughs> God damn it. Um, <laughs> pacing Joska on Twitter, J O U S K A. On Twitter and on Blue Sky, uh, BSKY, uh dot social. Ace, who is not here today, is also on Twitter, Ace underscore Arcist on Twitter and AceArcist.BlueSky.Social. The show, T-E-T-C dot show on Blue Sky at T-E-T-C show on Twitter. Um, and that is, uh, that is it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Are you going to say goodbye? Oh, bye, guys. Peace. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the End Times Continue. 
For links and other information, come see us at TETC.show.